Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by author, coach and podcaster, Vari McKechnie. Vari is from Scotland originally and now lives down on the Mornington Peninsula doing her thing. Vari, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, Danny. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to dive in and have this conversation. I'm so excited to have you on. So tell us a bit about your story. I mean, growing up in Scotland, I can only imagine I've coached a few Scots before and my heritage is is Scottish, obviously with the red hair and the blue eyes. The drinking culture is huge, much like the Irish culture and something that seems to be inherent generationally. Talk to me a bit about your history and when you first started drinking and growing up in Scotland, what that was like. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, it really is a a big part of the culture there and is kind of renowned throughout the world as having this really strong drinking culture. And I know that I definitely prescribed to that and that was definitely part of my identity. But certainly growing up in Scotland, alcohol was just everywhere all of the time. It was used for every different occasion. It was used as a celebration. It was used at funerals as a kind of way to cope with grief. It was used just on a random Tuesday afternoon. There was never a time where alcohol wasn't there and wasn't present. And so I think with that, you grow this kind of like immunity towards it and you don't actually understand the impact it can be having on your life. So. For me, I didn't start drinking as young as some people probably do. And the thing that probably saved me from doing that was I was really involved in sports. So I played volleyball and netball for Scotland as an under 18. So my weekends were mostly taken up with training, going off to tournaments. And so that was really a saving grace for me. But needless to say, once those were over, drinking definitely kind of took center stage. So probably from 17, 18, when I was starting to go out to pubs and nightclubs with friends, it really took a really kind of quick and intense presence in my life. And I would find myself drinking most days, really, 
you would have a glass of wine with dinner, you would go out and have a lunch on a Saturday with friends and there would be wine and beer. I was always first at the bar and last to leave, which I'd be drinking pints with the boys at uni. So it was definitely part of my kind of identity in those late teen and early 20 kind of years. And so leaving Scotland and then um, I actually moved to New York for a while and I played volleyball over there as a 17 year old. Drinking still played a huge part in my life there, although the drinking age is 21, we shouldn't be drinking. I managed to get myself suspended from high school for being drunk at a school basketball game. How drunk were you? I don't remember so extremely. <laughs> oh, so you're shit-faced. Um, and were you meant yeah. to be playing basketball? Or no, you... we were there watching. So our skilled team were going to state finals. So it was in a very American way. Everyone was up and about it. Everyone was at the game. Um, we'd gone to a friend's house and they were drinking beforehand. Again, I'm trying to live up to that Scottish reputation and drank far too much of things. I don't even know what I was drinking. Ridiculous banana-flavoured 100% proof nonsense. It was, it was just really messy. A naughty girl. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to be. My family were also back in Scotland. I was there living with a host family. So I really was on my own in a lot of ways. So it was pretty, pretty dangerous place to find myself. So I got suspended from school. Wasn't allowed to go on the senior trip to Disneyland and do all that kind of stuff. So there were some major consequences at a fairly young age for me with my drinking. But it definitely didn't stop me from drinking. I was kind of frustrated though because I had started to go out to pubs and stuff when I was in Scotland and then I'd gone to the States and that just wasn't a thing there. So I was kind of frustrated and I felt like, you know, the rules were just being, it was a bit ridiculous and a bit over the top. And so I came back to Scotland and just resumed drinking as normal. I went to uni, that played a big part in the drinking culture of going to uni. And then I moved to Australia in 2007 and and I was still drinking probably most days. I often say I was like an accidental daily drinker. Like I would say, oh, I won't drink during the week. I'll only drink at the weekend. And then I would find myself on a Wednesday, you have a glass of wine in hand after work or meet a friend on a Thursday for dinner and you'd have a beer. So it was kind of this like accidental daily drinking. So I wasn't getting drunk every night. I wasn't waking up wanting a drink in the morning, but I found myself drinking most days. Um, oh my God, that accidental drinking, like, oh, I was so guilty of that. I'd be like, what? It was an accident. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're like, how did I get here again? And every morning you'd be like, okay, I'm not having a drink today. And then, yeah, five o'clock, you'd find yourself with a glass of wine in hand. Yeah. And it was just this endless cycle. It was just more of like a tenacious habit than an addiction, I would say, for me. It was just this rhythm and routine and the familiarity of it. And so when I came to Australia, I didn't realize how similar the drinking culture was in Australia as it was in Scotland. And there were some differences. I remember being really surprised. I lived in South Melbourne when I moved here at first and being out at beautiful cafes for brunch and what have you on a Sunday morning and people having champagne with lunch on a just a regular Sunday. And I thought, well, this seems like fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is my place. So I was yeah. like, yeah, whilst I wasn't, you know, drinking at breakfast at home, there always seemed like an excuse to drink if you were out meeting friends for brunch. So again, it just seemed like there was never an opportunity not to drink alcohol. And so being Scottish, living in Australia now, I felt like I kind of had this like this double blow of these expectations of someone who could drink and someone that could hold their drink and someone that was, as I said, first at the bar and last to leave. Like I really tried to kind of live up to that reputation. 
And I would say my relationship with alcohol changed into one that I was more consciously aware was negative and had the potential to start causing some issues in my life once I became a mother. Again, the kind of accidental daily drinking took a bit of a stronghold at that point because that's what new mums do and new mums need a wine to get through the day. And when you're tired and you're sleep deprived, you deserve a wine, you know, at seven o'clock if the kids go to bed at that time. And so I became more and more aware of my drinking um, when my first son was born and that was 2009. I'd find myself walking to the park doing that three o'clock walk in the afternoon when they won't sleep and it's not quite dinner time yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Nine times out of ten I would like pass by the bottle shop and buy a nice bottle of wine and bring it home. And you don't have a problem if you're buying the expensive bottle of wine, right? Like, that's what I would tell myself. Like, this is just sophisticated. And this is what new mums do. They buy this $25 bottle of wine. And they probably drink the whole thing that night. But it felt like Mm -hmm. if I was doing that and I wasn't buying the cheap bottle, then it was okay. But even just having the awareness that I was having this, like, self-negotiation made me realize that it was starting to have a bigger impact and, and have a bigger influence over my life than what was healthy for me at that time. It did take me quite a few years to get alcohol free from there, but that was probably the turning point for me where I started to recognize it as something that could potentially be a bigger problem down the path. What was it about it that made you recognize it? Mm, I think just being aware of the last day that I hadn't had a drink. I think I started to recognize, oh, it's been two weeks or it's been three weeks since the last time I had a whole 24 hours without having at least half a glass of wine. We say half a glass. We really mean half a bottle. That's what we tell ourselves, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. And so I think, yeah, for me, it was just the fact that there was this awareness and I was starting to have that negotiation with myself of you'll go out for this dinner, but you'll take the car so you can drive home and you, you can only have one glass if you take the car. So just, I recognized how exhausting that kind of like internal conversation I was having with myself was becoming. And also at the time, I think just being a new mom, I started to look at life just through a different lens and it wasn't just about me anymore. And that was certainly one of the deciding factors when I came to deciding to remove alcohol from my life for a prolonged period of time because I felt like I'd done a couple of those dry Julys and you um, runs around the block and going alcohol free and I could do that. So I kind of justified to myself that I didn't have a problem or alcohol wasn't a problem if I could have these month long stints at not having alcohol, but I would go back to it as I did before. So it wouldn't really ever stick. And so, yeah, when it came to actually removing alcohol from my life for what I decided would be an extended amount of time. I didn't necessarily decide that it was going to be forever, which has turned out it's been forever up until this point. I think having two sons, I had navigated separation and divorce from my son's dad over that period of still drinking. And so when I realized that 50% of the time I was the sole responsible adult for my two sons, that there wasn't another adult in the house that if something happened and I had drank a bottle of wine, there was no other responsible adult there to be able to step in and take control of the situation. And that was a real wake up call for me as a mother and to realize that I didn't want to put myself or my family in that situation where I couldn't attend to something that potentially would happen and require me to 
to be able to respond to an emergency if it were to come up. So that was definitely one of the shifts that really helped me kind of make the decision to remove alcohol on a more permanent basis. Wow. It's interesting what you say about your moment of reckoning where you're starting to realize it's been this many days since I've had a day off the booze. And I think we all have a different moment of reckoning. And that's also really important because for me, it was like not remembering putting the kids to bed or the impact it was having on the kids and how I was feeling about myself. And that was kind of my moment and yours was obviously different. What I also love is that you're starting to realize that you are negotiating with yourself. Like I was negotiating with myself for years but didn't realize that that's what I was doing. It wasn't worrying me. It was just like, I was just having the internal chatter. Like, yeah, if you have one in between each drink or, you know, all the things that we do, how come you were so aware? Like, why do you think you were so aware of the internal chatter that was going on? Mm. I mean, I think just as a person, I've always been quite reflective and quite introspective in that way. And I also know at that time, especially being a new mum, as many parents, when their parents for the first time start to reflect on the role that their parents played in their lives as a child. And so I think that was an aspect of it for me as well. Certainly the house that I grew up in, alcohol was always there. It was a kind of ever-present thing. I would say that, you know, both my parents were high-functioning alcoholics. I was going to say, were your parents alcoholics? Because sometimes if you've got a parent who's an alcoholic, then you have a bit more of that awareness. You start to see the behaviors. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely categorize them as high functioning alcoholics. They would potentially beg to differ. Don't we all? Yeah. But I think just being aware of the amount of alcohol that was kind of in and around our lives. I remember as a kid, as I said, I played a lot of sports and I've got an older brother and a younger sister. So between the three of us, we were always out of some sort of sports training or something like that. And I remember my mum would not come and pick us up if it was after seven o'clock because she would have a glass of wine or it was the 90s. I think it was like a gin and tonic or a vodka and tonic at, at seven o'clock. Bacardi and Coke. It might have been a Bacardi and Coke. Bloomer and milk. <laughs> Yeah, 90s UK, there were um, some deep vibes. Mm -hmm. I I think I realized that there would be a friend would pick me up or sometimes I'd even have to get a taxi home from things because she was really adamant that she wouldn't drive at all if she'd had one drink. But every night she would choose to have the drink over being available to pick us up or drop us off somewhere if it was after that seven o'clock time. And so when I was a kid, your experience as a child is just your experience and you don't often realize the impacts of it until you're older and you kind of look at other people's family dynamics and you think well mine was better than that but not as good as that and you start to compare and then I think being a parent myself I realized I don't want to be that mother so there was definitely a high dependency on alcohol in my family but it was also used as a thing to connect and a thing to celebrate once our kids were adults if we were going out for dinner with my parents or if it was Christmas or a birthday or something like that everyone would always be having a drink everyone would be getting a taxi no one would be driving it was almost offensive if you said you were going to drive so I think they didn't really know how to connect if there wasn't this lubricant of alcohol that would kind of be this superficial glue that would bring us all together I think we were all very different in our family but alcohol seemed to be that one thing that would bring us together and make us feel like a family which is it's kind of heartbreaking to reflect on but when that Mm. was the thing that gave you the connection 
you're not going to walk away from the thing because you don't want to walk away from the connection. So boom. Oh my God. Yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that followed me through into my adulthood. The friends I would have or the relationships I would be in, alcohol was always a really present part of that. And that's something I definitely experienced once I decided to remove alcohol from my life and something I was really aware of and had to be okay with to make that choice was that I knew some friendships or relationships would not withstand the transition from me being someone who drank to someone who didn't drink at all and I had to be okay with that and know that some of those friendships would potentially dissolve because they had been built on this foundation of alcohol and nights out and our stories were always remember when we went to that festival remember when we went to that gig remember that night out and so I had to yeah be quite courageous and know that some of those often lifelong friendships from early childhood were perhaps not going to make that transition into this you know next kind of season of my life and that was really hard to recognize at the time but I had to choose what felt truest for me over continuing to be that easy to get along with version for other people. And so, yeah, it was really interesting to observe how some of those friendships dissolved and changed format. And some remained, you know, and some got stronger and alcohol just wasn't a part of it anymore. And certainly the relationship that I was in at the time, whilst it didn't end because of the alcohol, I realized that once I removed alcohol from my life, I was going out to bars, going out for dinner, things like that. That wasn't so much of a thing anymore. And there wasn't actually that much value within the relationship once alcohol had been removed. So it's quite an exposing time when you take that filter of alcohol off of all those different aspects of your life and you kind of see them for what they actually are and not what that murky filter of alcohol made you think they were. Yeah, it was quite an interesting time to see that transition amongst friends. Oh, absolutely. I have to go back to what you said before about when it has been the basis of connection within your family and your friends and your community that you've grown up in. It's so big, isn't it? To say, if I walk away from alcohol, I'm walking away from connection. That was just a light bulb moment for me there. Amazing insight and so beautifully said. And little wonder it's so fucking scary for us to walk away from it and to put it down. It's mm. fucking scary and no wonder, especially when we've grown up all around it, which most of us have, right? Like, especially in Australian culture, Scottish culture, I think all cultures, well, not all cultures, but Western cultures, that seems to be what's most prevalent. And it is that kind of the way in which people connect. And what's so amazing is that we're able to start doing it differently for our kids. So our kids aren't seeing it as the only way that you can connect with people or to have fun or commiserate mm. or celebrate that there's a different way of doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, yeah, around that connection piece, I think when we are under the influence of alcohol, like we sometimes like that version of ourselves because we have less resistance to being able to have fun. We feel more confident. We feel like we're having a better time. But it's often just this distraction. I often liken it to going to a wedding. Like if you go to a wedding and you've drank the whole day, it's been an amazing night, the after party goes on and you come home the next day and you have an amazing time. 
And if you go to that same wedding and you're not drinking and you have a terrible time, it's not that the wedding was good or the wedding was bad. It was the influence of alcohol. So it changes our perceptions of those things. Like a boring wedding is a boring wedding. It just seems more fun when you put alcohol on top of it. And I think that's true of so many situations we find ourselves in. When we feel that connection because we're drinking, it's not really connection. It's that false idea of connection. Um, and we have to abandon who we actually are and all of our shyness and all of our awkwardness and all of our quirks that we have, we have to push them aside to feel that sense of belonging and that sense of connection within the group. And it got to the point I was just unwilling to do that anymore. I would rather be the awkward sober person than the fake drunk person. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. It takes a while to get there, but it's also, well, the simple fact is it is a good boredom alleviator. And when we've been around people, I know my husband would always be like, oh, these people are so boring. I'm just going to drink my way through this just to get through it. And they're not having a great night. So it would work in that way. But then, of course, you, know, you keep on doing that, keep on doing that. There's all the consequences of that. And learning to be in boredom. Actually, I've noticed this in my five and a half years that I don't feel as bored. I'm never really bored, to be honest, because I can kind of get into the deeper grooves of the conversation, even though I feel a bit awkward at first. I can kind of just go there now and I can, it's less boring because it's less superficial. I love how you said too, this concept of we have to abandon ourselves and we are abandoning ourselves essentially, aren't we? Where we become someone else that we're not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it really helps you develop that sense of what you like and what you don't like once you remove alcohol from it. Because I found for myself, I would I would still go along to things. You know, some people who decide to be alcohol free or who are, you know, in sobriety or in recovery, however they choose to kind of identify with it. Often they can't find themselves in situations where there is alcohol or they won't go to the bar. Like in British, I still love going to the pub. Like I love the atmosphere and the environment of the pub. And I can go there and not drink and still be able to enjoy it for what it is. But I think you have like such a tuned in bullshit radar <laughs> when you're not drinking. And yes. you just quite easily up and leave. And you don't think you have to keep drinking to keep tolerating what's happening. You can just leave. And so I think it really helped me be much more decisive and discerning about the environments I would put myself in. So so I would be less bored because I would just remove myself from the inherently boring same conversation that happens at 11.30 at night in the pub. So this idea that we're boring without alcohol, my life is so much more boring and routine and flat when I was drinking because all I was doing with friends was drinking. It might be in a different environment. We might be at someone's house. It might be a barbecue. It might be the pub. It might be a beautiful winery. Like how hilarious that I moved to like the winery region when I got sober. <laughs> but um, yeah. I think we do all these things, but essentially all we're doing is like going to a different place and drinking more alcohol. So for me, once I stopped drinking, I realized I actually had to fill my life with like more fun stuff. And certainly as a parent, I am so much more fun as a mother to my children. Because mm -hmm. I'm not just saying, let's go to such and such as house and you guys can play basketball and driveway and we'll sit and drink wine. We're doing much mm -hmm. more fun activity stuff. I think often people think they'll be like old and boring if they're not drinking. But I think the opposite is true. We become so much more youthful and vibrant and we've got so much more 
vitality about us when we don't have alcohol because we need to be yes. creative or like yeah. I started like picking up hobbies and thinking I could turn them into businesses and doing all this stuff you know like my mind was just like firing with this creativity mm. that had been just drowning in alcohol for so long and and I'm quite a creative person my background is in design and illustration and so much of that creativity was just sidelined and was being suffocated by alcohol so mm. yeah once I stopped drinking I got back to playing volleyball I would do fun silly stuff with my kids at the weekend my youngest son tried to teach me how to skateboard that didn't really work <laughs> we would like go off on day trips to places and actually have fun and be outdoors and time just slows down like I often say like time slows to the drip of honey when you're not drinking because oh that's beautiful chaos and frantic like need to do more and that I think is what people identify as boredom but it's actually not it's just this beautiful natural rhythm that we're meant to move through life with but because we've been medicating our lives with alcohol for so long we haven't met that pace yet so we can perceive it as boredom but it's actually this kind of beautiful expansive place where it's so much slower we get to make decisions so much more easily and we're not doing this frantic kind of reaction and kind of fighting fires on all fronts like we have this spaciousness to consider our choices consider our actions decide if we want to go left or right and so for me life slowed down and felt so much more present and so much more delicious than it ever had been through the filter of alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. It just opens up so much, doesn't it? It opens so much up in our life. I just had this sort of, when you were talking about being in the pub and drinking with people, and also I was thinking like it stops those fires and that explosiveness as well. And you talked about alcohol helps us tolerate sometimes certain people or, or occasions. And I know that for me, if I'm around someone, say someone in my family or a friend or something like that that I don't know that well, and our values are different. Our core values are very, very different. And I would have to probably drink to have to tolerate this person. And invariably, we'd probably end up in a massive fight at the end of the night because eventually it just comes out. Where before, if you haven't been drinking, you can remove yourself from that situation. As soon as that person starts to become a homophobic racist, I can say, okay, it's time for me to go. I can leave now. But when I'm drinking, I'm still there and you start to get fired up and you, there's this big explosive thing at the end, but you've sort of tolerated them until a point, until there's that kind of invariable or inevitable explosion that happens just without having all that drama in the life too. It's great. And not having to tolerate people and toxic people don't want to fucking tolerate anymore and I think that's another beautiful gift it just dawned on me then and it's not even something I've spoken about before on this podcast but it's something that you said just reminded me of that and I just thought there are so many gifts in being alcohol free and they just pop up all the time and they're just like yes that's just another thing another mm. thing that yeah I don't have to tolerate people anymore yeah and I think like what you said about that tolerance like I know for me personally I don't want to be better at tolerating people i want to be yeah able to remove myself from those situations and not you know we live in a cancel culture where it's all too easy to shut people down if they don't agree 100 percent with our mm. views or opinions or decisions but i think again putting alcohol on top of that makes it much more fiery it's mm. at more extreme ends of the scale it's like that all or nothing kind of thing where i think we can see the nuance more and we can be more discerning when we don't have the influence of alcohol kind of 
having us hang on and be as tolerant as we possibly can be. And then all of a sudden it's that drip, drip, drip into the bucket. And then the bucket just tips over and everything kind of falls out from that. So I think we shouldn't be trying to be more tolerant. So um, Absolutely. I can't imagine like now with the whole cancel culture thing, and you've got to be so careful about what you say, or there's other people and everyone has different views and it's like, you can be shut down and fucking hell. Could you imagine if you were drunk and you said the wrong thing? You're out of town, man. You are cancelled and shut down. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like we get this beautiful like space of time to yes. consider like, before we actually like say the words out loud. Alcohol removes that filter from our brains to our mouth. And often in silly little flyaway comments, especially in today's social media world, you can't really have a silly little drunken flyaway comment because no way, man. they're going to come at you, you know? So <laughs> I think there's such a sense of kind of personal safety within ourselves when we can trust mm. ourselves on that deeper level. And I, yeah, I was unable to trust myself yeah, in the way that really. I wanted to just, you know, as a woman, as a mother, as a friend with alcohol there. So yeah. there was definitely the few kind of upswings of alcohol just didn't compete with all of the beautiful positive things that came from removing alcohol and that's why you know when I decided to remove alcohol from my life it was a random Sunday evening in July 2018 I hadn't really planned on doing it as such the few months leading up to that I'd been increasingly aware um, I'd gone to a friend's birthday I'd said I would drive I had to go and pick my cat up from in front of the pub in Fitzroy the next day and I realized like this is getting a little out of hand and it's feeling a little frantic so I poured a glass of wine for myself and then just poured it in the sink. And I'd said, I'm going to do an extended time. And I didn't put a date on it because I'm very good at being able to like, I'm quite competitive by nature. So I'm very good at like being able to go, yep, I can do 30 days or yep, I can do two months. And like nothing will make me deviate from that path. But as a more extended kind of longer term choice, I didn't want to put that final date on it to say, once I get there, I'll have achieved this. I just wanted to kind of experiment with how life would look if alcohol wasn't a feature of it. And so I'd said I would take this extended time off, not knowing what that extended time would be. A few weeks later, it was my 35th birthday. I was going to a gig. I was going out for a dinner with friends. And I thought, well, this is going to be the test. If I can do these things and not have alcohol there. And it was actually one of the most beautiful birthdays that I'd had in, in quite some time. And then a month later, I was flying back to the UK to spend time with family. And if you ever need a drink, it's often when we're around our family. I flew back to Scotland to be with my family and then flew to New York to go to a wedding and then back to Scotland and then back to Australia. So I, I thought to myself, if I can get through these events and not drink, like I'm good to go after that. Like if I can take these things off, then this can actually be something that can be sustainable in the longer term. And it was still in those very awkward early days. The wedding I went to in the States, I was there as the partner of the person who was invited. So I knew no one there other than the person I was with. And so to be doing that and also not have that lubricant of alcohol was pretty awkward, but I was happy to just be the awkward person at the wedding because I thought these people don't know me and it really doesn't matter if they're like, remember that awkward Scottish girl? Because I will never have to meet them ever again. So I often say to people, if they're going to practice or get, or try out removing alcohol, go do things with people that you don't know and people that you might never see again, because you can be that awkward, shy 
person and it doesn't matter those people don't know you from before like you don't have this reputation or identity to look up to so it's often an easy way to kind of tile it out in secret rather than kind of launching straight into like your immediate friends and family and expecting it to be this really kind of easy interaction as you are like the kid with the training wheels on trying to find how you do socializing without alcohol when you've never done it as an adult before Absolutely. Like trying someone new on. I love that. Especially around people you don't know. My sister-in-law did that once she started a new job and she said, I'm going to go into this being like a really outgoing person, this job, and just be a completely different person because no one knows me. That's what she did. (laughs) She just turned up and she'd be this really outgoing, bubbly person every day. And she really liked it. She just tried on being a new person and there's nothing wrong with trying on being a new person, especially, yeah, it's just seeing what that's like. Just asking you, talking about that first sober birthday that you had, and you said that it was one of the most beautiful birthdays that you'd had. What made it so beautiful? What was interesting was that probably for the first time, I hadn't sat back and waited for other people to like organize things for my birthday or like hoping that my boyfriend at the time would book those tickets to that gig that I told him I wanted to go to or hope that the friends would book that new restaurant that we'd spoken about. So I just actually took, not took charge of it, but kind of like decided what I wanted to do to celebrate my birthday and then asked the people if they wanted to do it with me. So I went and bought the tickets for the gig and asked my boyfriend, would he want to come with me? I asked my friends, hey, I want to go to this new restaurant. Do you guys want to come? And of course they said yes. And it it probably didn't feel like a big deal to them. But I think it was one of those first instances of me actually speaking up and asking for what I wanted or what I needed and not just hoping that other people would do that for me. So it felt much more intentional. And I think that intentionality was something that would grow over the months and the years from not having alcohol be in my life, that I would be much more proactive in the experiences I wanted to have and the places I wanted to go to and the things I actually wanted to spend my days doing. So I think that's why that birthday felt quite special because it felt like I was actually celebrating it in the way that I wanted to celebrate it and not putting the pressure on other people to Mm. be able to read my mind and do it for me. Oh, well, it's almost like a rebirth of sorts too. Like again, being someone else, like not showing up with that old personality trait, but okay, I'm actually going to take charge here and say what I want and what I need and not relying on other people to do that for me. Mm. Yeah, that's really, really beautiful. So Vari, you were saying that you were a daily drinker pretty much. So you'd go for long stints without having any alcohol-free days. How did it look for you initially? Talk about the first, if you can remember back that far, because you've been alcohol-free for five years. Talk about those early days. What was that like for you? Let's say I always found around about the five-day mark I'd hit the fuck it button just to have it. So when the sneaky bitch would come calling and say, yeah, this was not much of a problem, did you have those moments? And how did you get through those early hurdles? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting to think back on it. One thing that I think really helped me was that I didn't just substitute alcohol for like non-alcoholic versions of the same thing. So I know quite a lot of folks will go down that path of saying, you know, rather than having the beer at five o'clock, I'll have a non-alcoholic beer at five o'clock. But I wanted to change the habits and the the rhythms and the routines of it. So yeah, for me, it was around that kind of dinner time-ish at the end of the workday. And 
I've always worked for myself. So often it was like that even pre-COVID times I worked from home. And so it was often that transition from work mode into home mode. You know, you'd pack the laptop away, pour a glass of wine, and that was you then kind of, you know, off the clock. And that was you at home then. So for me, it was having to actually find new things to do then. So going out for a run or going to the gym or taking my dog for a walk or things like that, like to try and change the habit of it really helped me from fixating on it and thinking about it. it that kind of like positive distraction. So really it was having to shift up my whole rhythm and routine and especially come to the weekends, especially the weekends where I didn't have my boys, where they would be with their dad. That was often the weirdest time because you're like, what do, I, what do I do with all of this time that's in front of me? It's easy to distract yourself in those times using alcohol. But for me, it was being able to sit in the discomfort of that and feel that, as you said, boredom, feel the slowness of time passing. Because often we just want time to speed up so we can get through that phase. If we just drink our way through the weekend, our kids will be back on Monday and it'll be like it never happened. But it, for me, it was learning to be able to sit in that discomfort. So yeah, not just swapping out the alcohol versions for the non-alcoholic versions, help take the focus off the alcohol and put my focus on something that was entirely different or new. And that's not to say that going out for a run is going to give you the same hit as that glass of wine, right? Like I'm under no illusions that they're two very different things, but I think learning to like desensitize myself to the intense dopamine hits that you get from alcohol and regulating it to those more natural pleasures, like being able to get up early and fresh in the morning and actually knowing what that feels like, because quite often we haven't even experienced what it feels like to wake up entirely alcohol free for you know days and weeks and months on end so to start to enjoy more of those natural pleasures like getting up early just having a cup of coffee outside in the sun before my boys would get up in the morning being able to go for a run or go to the beach for a swim and do those things and knowing that this isn't going to feel as good as the beer or the glass of wine or going out with the girls but I'm gonna start to regulate my system to be more attuned to these things and to orient myself towards the things that are more sustainable and more generative. You know, we get the quick fix of the dopamine, but then we need another one and then another one, and then we need more and more to get the same hit. So I was really conscious of that, of just slowing everything down and being more available to those more sustainable, longer lasting pleasures that we have in life, as opposed to those instant hits of gratification that alcohol can give us. Yeah, a lot of people often think, well, a cup of tea is not going to hit it. And it's absolutely not going to hit it when you're so used to having that glass of wine. But we can start to orient ourselves towards that and start to value more of those natural pleasures in life. Yeah, absolutely. And those natural pleasures become more and more intensified, I think, as you get more and more used to it, as you kind of plateau out and your dopamine resets itself. Those things like a sunrise suddenly is like, wow, this is so beautiful. And you get an intense pleasure that you may not have got before or just seeing, sometimes I'll just marvel at the way the light hits a leaf and, and you know, look at that and just like, wow, that is so beautiful. And those little things that I probably wouldn't have picked up on before suddenly everything is so much more alive and yeah, we do get, you feel it in your body, you feel it in your whole being, these very small natural pleasures that get more and more intense mm. as we become more acquainted with them. 
Yeah. And yeah. That, it takes time. Like we need that, the luxury of time to be able to do that because we do have to kind of change a lot of how our body is reacting to those different stimulus. And I think, yeah, mm, we can give mean. ourselves that time to slow down, to be able to recognize those things. Cause it's not going to happen. You're not going to look at the sunrise and be like, this is the most magnificent thing in the world. You're going to be like, yeah, but <laughs> so yeah. I think, yeah, it's going to take time and we're not very good at giving ourselves time. We're so used to getting quick fixes and quick hits and hacks and maximizing things. And we want results yesterday. And I think mm. choosing to remove alcohol is one of the best practical ways to start to invest in those longer term visions as opposed to I want this this week or this month it starts to stretch mm. out time and be like if I continue on this path what's my life going to look like three years from now or 10 years from now mm. and for me that was so much more exciting and I was so much more curious about that than what's going to happen next week it felt like this kind of expansive sense of my life and mm. and yeah there was a curiosity now and a wonder about what might this look like so I think when we can tap into those emotions it helps us to kind of stay the course with those things something you said was really important before which I just want to highlight as well is that we have to be prepared for the fact that we're not going to get those instant and those big dopamine hits which essentially is what it is some people might not realize that's what it is but that instant gratification that we're looking for, that's not going to be there like it was before. And so to be prepared for that, but to understand, okay, if I go for a walk instead, or if I do sit and have a cup of tea instead and perhaps be with my breath or those things that might not seem so exciting, but it offers so much more stability long-term. And we've got to look at this long-term, like we're in this life for a while, hopefully, and we want to think in more in long-term rather than, like you say, we're so accustomed to instant gratification the, those dopamine hits we get from looking at our phone constantly and everything's so quick and so fast and we're losing our concentration and we're losing that kind of sense of longevity. And yeah, so I think that's really important what you said and, and really beautifully said as well. Again, it's so important to be aware of that it's not going to feel so boom, 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 but mm. it will give you stability. And that's, I think, what we're needing to slow down. And that's what I'm getting out of this conversation too. There is a need to slow down and yeah, just bring it back, dial it back a bit. Yeah. And yeah. certainly with my sons, like for me now from kind of this vantage point, my sons are 14 and almost 12. And for me, I want to be really aware of the example that I'm setting for them. Like what am I being an example for in my son's life right now without being prescriptive? Like what are they observing in me that I want them to value? Yeah. And so letting them see there is an alternative to drinking alcohol as an adult. It's not something that's a given. There's lots of other options. And it's certainly not something that my 14-year-old, unfortunately, they're just about to you know launch into that whole space of where alcohol starts to play a role in their lives. But I'll never tell my sons not to drink. But I think if I can be that example for them and having that open communication is really important for me. So I want them to know that if they are at a party and they've been drinking and the person who's meant to be bringing them home has been drinking, I want them to know that they can call me even if they've told me they're going somewhere else and I can go pick them up. That I'm always going to be that kind of safe, constant person for them. And hopefully mm. through that, they'll be able to see alcohol through a different lens than so many 
you know, kids are kind of the, the examples that they are showing, I think, can be quite different um, if, if there is that unconscious use of alcohol, you know, within the family. So, yeah, being an example of that for my boys of just this is an alternative way to do it and it can actually be fun and it's actually, you know, fairly easy like and I know that's quite a controversial thing to say and and I, I don't want to say that you know for people who have deep addiction and physical addiction like of course it's a different scenario from what I found myself in like I never have identified as someone who's necessarily an alcoholic or someone who's in recovery or someone who had to get sober I kind of identify more with just choosing to live alcohol free or choosing to remove alcohol from my life and I think there's all those different shades of alcohol usage as well and for me it was almost harder to remove alcohol because it wasn't this like epic rock bottom moment for me and this is also another trigger when you find yourself reading like sobriety memoirs that's usually a first <laughs> a first mm -hmm. hint that it's perhaps something that you want to you know get a little bit more curious about and I would read these stories of these women who had lost their children, lost their jobs, lost their driver's license, and then they decided to get sober from there. And I remember reading them feeling like a bit of a fake and a bit of a fraud. I felt like Helena Bonham Carter's character in Fight Club, like I was going along to the meeting, but I shouldn't really have been there. And so for me, deciding to remove alcohol without that epic rock bottom, like that felt like a real act of courage and a real trusted myself to know that I didn't have to wait till it got so bad before I could make a different choice. And I want to be that example for my children, not just around alcohol, but just around all different parts of their lives. When it comes to jobs and career and relationships, like it doesn't have to be terrible and it doesn't have to be all or nothing for you to decide to go down a different path. And alcohol has been a huge example of that for me, but it's also helped me and lots of other areas of my life to kindle some of that courage that I was able to create from removing alcohol and apply it to other areas of my life as well. And knowing that if I can change my relationship with that and it can be fairly easy in that sense, then I'm able to do that in other areas of my life as well. Absolutely. It has a flow on effect as well, doesn't it? It just seems to kind of keep flowing on once we take one thing out we start to change then other areas change we go deeper into some area things just open up yeah and like you said earlier to the creativity side it opens up a lot more too and so I guess we become more open to things that are presenting to us so tell us a bit you've got a book out now it's called Seeds of Courage give us a bit of an example of what someone might expect to get out of your book reading your book so yeah it just came out just a couple of weeks ago on the 1st of September congratulations Thank you. It's been such a beautiful process and something I would never have been able to have given the creative energy to, but I'll still be drinking. And really it's just with my work as a mentor and a coach, it's a lot of the tools and the concepts that I use with my clients, but the overarching theme is how can we live a big life by our own definition through small and gentle acts of courage. So Often we're told that we have to make these huge, big, bold proclamations and we have to, it has to be all or nothing and we have to have these, you know, micromanaged calendars and I call bullshit on all of that. I've tried it. It doesn't work. It's not sustainable. I think if we can offer ourselves small and gentle acts of courage every day, and they might be the smallest, littlest thing each day then that's what helps us actually enjoy the life that we're living right now, as opposed to putting all of our hopes and dreams and joy and excitement and success in some far off distant place that we're trying to 
get towards through constant goal setting and new year's resolutions and all of those things so for me it's about yeah slowing down and having more intentionality but in a more joyful way we should be able to enjoy the hours of our days and that's something that i remind myself of every day is what can i do today to enjoy the hours in my day because we're often thinking about the five-year ten-year plan but those 10 years are going to be made up with the hours of the days between now and 10 years. And so for me, it comes back around to that instant gratification, but in a very natural way, like I want to enjoy my life right now and in 10 years time. And it's not to say that we don't have things that we're reaching for, but how can we enjoy our way towards those things? So that's what the book's about. It's split into three different parts. First of all, we look at, you know, how do we clear some space in our life? And that's what alcohol was for me. It cleared so much space before I added more to it. So first of all, we clear the space. We kind of decide what's expired, what's dissolved, what needs to go. Then the second part is we look at well, what do we actually want? Like, what are the seeds that we want to plant? What do we want to create in our life in a really intentional way? And then the third part is how do we actually allow ourselves to experience that? And it sounds like a no-brainer, but often that's where the resistance comes in as we have these ideas we have these dreams and desires we want to create but we often block ourselves from being able to actually allow them to come into bloom in our life so we walk through each of the three parts and we look at what are the different practices and concepts that that we can actually start to implement on a daily basis to build some of that courage so we can make those decisions that are perhaps being put on the back burner for a little while, but we do it in a way that's kind to ourselves and that doesn't deplete our nervous systems and, and have us feeling overwhelmed and burnt out. Oh, it sounds absolutely amazing. Is that available on Audible as well? It's not on Audible at the moment. I'm just about to record it. It's just in hardback and paperback at the moment, but it will be on Audible soon. So um, yeah, you can get it from Whenever you buy your books, ask your local bookseller to order it. And I'm a massive fan of that or your local library. And yeah, the Audible version will be coming soon. Amazing. That would sound so great with your accent reading it out. Mm, Absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> that sounds beautiful. I'll put links to the show notes as well if you can send some through about how people can either A, contact you. And I was just looking here on your website, which is varimckechnie.com. Did I say that right? Yeah, you did. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and so you've got links for your coaching, for your mentoring, all the things, your podcast, newsletter, all those things. So if people want to reach out to you, they can go there. And again, I'll put that in the show notes. And you're also on Instagram. I am. Amazing. Yeah. And the book sounds awesome. So I'm definitely going to go out and get that thank and have a read you. of that as well. It sounds so beautiful. Amazing. So thank you so much, Vari, for coming on today and just sharing a little bit of your story. And you've also got a podcast. What's the podcast called? Yep. So my podcast is just called the Varian McKechnie podcast. So it's weekly-ish. We miss a couple of weeks sometimes, but it's about, yeah, stories from my own life, stories about courage, stories about how we can slow down to actually meet our lives more. There's stories about working and also juggling family and how we find a rhythm in that. So yeah, it's kind of a lot of my own personal stories and things that come up with my coaching and mentor clients. But it's how we can, yeah, live a more meaningful life with more ease and more joy. Beautiful. It sounds amazing. So I'll, again, put links for that as well in the show notes. It's been a beautiful pleasure talking to you today. And thank you so much for reaching out to come on. And I'm sure it's not the last time you're going to be on this podcast. I look forward to having you on again and going a little bit deeper. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Danny. It's been so lovely to chat. Thanks, Bari. See you soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye. 